0: Dime Stories listeners, we have some outstanding news to share with you. We are taking our first steps towards an expansion of the Dime Stories empire in 2017. On Saturday, February 18th, we will be holding our first ever Dime Stories event in the sparkling city of Long Beach, California. We'll be gathering at Gatsby Books, one of Southern California's great independent bookstores, and, if all goes well, it will be the start of a new full-time Dime Stories chapter in that city. So, if you live in or around Long Beach, or know someone who would like some live literary goodness to enjoy in a groovy setting, mark your calendars for February 18th. We'll share more news as we get it. And now, we hit the music. How long does it take to visit a faraway land, to bring a memory back in full color, to leap into the past or the future? With a good dime story, it can happen at the speed of just a few simple words. This is Dime Stories, your chance to go everywhere a story can take you, in three minutes or less. Welcome to the Dime Stories podcast. I'm Nicholas Thurkettle, author and regular at Dime Stories Orange County.
1: And I'm Jennifer Simpson, director of Dime Stories International.
0: Every month, writers gather at local Dime Stories chapters and share their stories. Fiction or nonfiction, no guidelines, and just one rule, only three minutes to take us on a journey.
1: The three favorite stories from each event are archived on our website, dimestories.org. And in this podcast, we're putting together some of the best of the best to share with you.
0: My friend in Chicago was throwing a dinner party on New Year's Eve, for everyone to get a good hearty meal in their system before they ventured out to various parties for the night. I decided I wanted to contribute, so I spent all afternoon making a special recipe I had for Texas red chili, hot and spicy. I had even packed seasonings with me in my suitcase before flying into town, and wondered if airport security would question me about the strange powders I was carrying. Then, it turned out, that most of the dinner party table was populated by a Hindu, two vegans, and a kosher Jew, so my spicy beef chili went into a giant Tupperware jug and traveled with me into the Chicago night, a party favor looking for a party that wanted it. In this season of Feasts, we're devoting this episode to food, the way it ties into every culture on Earth, how it makes us feel, and what it tells us about how life is going for us.
1: Terry Klein from our Albuquerque chapter takes the importance of food to her Jewish family and builds it into a divine piece of humor called By the Stomach.
2: My father was not a ritually oriented Jew. He went to services only to indulge my mother, who enjoyed the singing. She indulged him in other ways, particularly with food. We moved around a lot while I was growing up, but no matter where we lived, from Las Vegas, Nevada, to Zagreb in the former Yugoslavia, my mother would scour the countryside to get him the Jewish cuisine he loved. A good loaf of pumpernickel bread, herring in wine sauce, pastrami, bagels, lox. She would even cook a tongue for him. Now that's indulgence. (laughs) Believe me, a cow's tongue looks a lot better when it's still attached to the cow. (laughs) than it does going into the pot. And even after you cook it, which takes forever, it still has to be peeled before you can eat it, if you still want to. (laughs) Perhaps it was over tongue one night that my mother (laughs) joked to my father, the only thing Jewish about you is your stomach. (laughs) And my father, who loved a good zinger even when he was the target, instantly enshrined this remark in his memory waiting for a good opportunity to use it himself. The opportunity came when shortly after our next move he found himself in line at the local deli with our new rabbi. Dad must have decided early in his life that a genuine impression was more important than a good one (laughs) because after telling the rabbi his name he immediately added my wife says the only thing Jewish about me is my stomach. <laughs> now, how would you react if you were that rabbi? Shock? Irritation? Dismay at the poor quality of Jews these days? <laughs> Not that rabbi. He just flashed my father a broad smile and replied, well, we get him any way we can. <laughs>
1: That has one of my favorite punchlines in any dime story I've heard. Terry Klein is a performer, poet, and playwright. She moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico in 2015 after 55 and a half years living all over the United States with brief stints in Switzerland and the former Yugoslavia. She is thrilled to be part of Albuquerque's vibrant spoken word and theater scene, particularly Dime Stories, the Fixed and Free Poetry Open Mic, and the many community theaters that comprise Albuquerque's Theater Guild. She is currently working on two short plays, as well as the Albuquerque premiere of her full-length play, What Next?, to be performed in 2017.
0: Dime Stories founder, Amy Wallen, takes us all the way to Nigeria and back home again with childhood memories of two recipes that made a lifelong impression in Lizard and Onions.
3: Mrs. Ibogi teaches the Nigerian culture class. We learn Nigerian games and we paint calabash gourds. I paint mine with a peace sign like the ones on my sister's bell bottoms. And we make Nigerian cookies. First we put in a cup of peanuts, which is fine, but then Mrs. Ibogi pours chopped onions into the mix. This is how to make a seven-year-old mad. My mom tries to hide onions in our food at home, but I always know when they're there. I desperately try to explain to Mrs. Ibogi she can leave the onions out and the cookies will be okay without them. But Mrs. Ibogi, with her perfect wig that I know covers her head of tiny pigtails, tells me it's the way the Nigerians do it and that I will like them, just wait and see. But I don't like them and apparently no one else does either. I had never seen leftover cookies until that day. Sandra Daniels invites me over to her house after school. Her mother is German, and she fixes us oxtail soup for our after-school snack. I ask if it's really made from oxtails. No, Mrs. Daniels said. It's made from powder and shows me the yellow packet it came in. I think she's just doing what my mom does to get me to eat it. I like it anyway. Sandra has lots of American toys, so we play monkeys in a barrel for a while, then pick up sticks. When we get tired of that, we go outside and play with her hula hoop. Then she takes me to the front of their house where they have a big cage on the porch. Inside the cage is a green lizard, a chameleon, Sandra tells me. What's that mean, I say. It means he'll change colors. What color does he change to? Whatever color he's standing on. She goes inside the house, and while she's gone, I think he's not as fascinating as the blue and orange lizards in our garden that do push-ups on the bamboo fence. Sandra comes back with a piece of red construction paper. Watch, she says and she scoots the red paper under the chameleon. We wait. He turns kind of gray, then kind of brown. We wait some more. He gets to this bruised purple stage, and then he's red like the construction paper. How do you get him to do that, I ask Sandra. I don't know. He just does it, she says. At home, I lie on my bed waiting for dinner. I lie very still and imagine I'm turning yellow like the bedspread. If I think hard enough, it might happen. When my mom comes in, she says, what are you doing? I tell her I'm trying to turn yellow. And since I'm thinking really hard and have my eyes closed, I ask her if I'm yellow yet. You're close, she says, but not quite. Why do you want to be yellow? When I explain about Sandra's chameleon, she says that when I'm finally yellow, I can come and eat because supper is ready. Are we having oxtail soup, I ask her. No, she says. Is oxtail soup what chameleons eat? No, I think she's being silly. It's what Germans eat. Well, she tells me, we're having meatloaf, what Americans eat. With onions, I ask? No, she says, no onions, but I know she's hidden them again. Am I yellow yet? Yes, you're bright yellow, practically a lemon. When I open my eyes, I've already turned back to my regular skin color, but more like the peach crayon in my 64 Crayola crayons box with the sharpener in the back.
0: I can just picture a child closing their eyes trying to change colors like a chameleon. Amy Wallen, author of the best-selling novel Moon Pies and Movie Stars, is associate director at the New York State Summer Writers' Institute. The rest of the year, she facilitates a full-length manuscript workshop in San Diego and teaches novel writing at UCSD Extension. Her essays have been published in the Gettysburg Review, The Normal School, Country Living, The Writers' Chronicle, and other national magazines. She holds an MFA from Vermont College of Fine Arts. Lizard and Onions is an excerpt from her memoir, When We Were Ghouls, a memoir in ghost stories, to be released by University of Nebraska Press American Lives series. Finally,
1: in Joanne Hart's story, The Economic Tide, food doesn't just provide nutrition. It's a clue to business trends and perhaps our own mastery over our fate. Here's
4: Joanne. As Duncan waited at Mana Villains' takeout counter, he studied the specials. Lobster was cheap, too cheap. Maine's maritime industry was sinking, and Duncan, who owned a fish processing plant, was locked in his cabin without a life jacket. Dunk, shouted Slocum, squids up. Manavillins was owned by Slocum, who flew a pirate's flag in the kitchen, combining molecular gastronomy with a fish shack menu. He stuffed shrimp with almond cookies and kept a tank of live eels for pie. The squid calzone was more appetizing than its menu notes, which read, Endangered status, zero. Because of warming waters, squid have surpassed humans in total biomass on the planet. Duncan wished he could examine the menu without also having to examine his conscience or his cholesterol level. The squid was healthier than the deep-fried low-tide dinner, which claimed no trans fats, which was true enough, but not honest enough. Slocum used pig lard for frying and would use whale blubber if he could. He believed fat was the secret of Homo sapiens' success. Humans were not just the fattest primates. They had ten times as many fat cells as any animal at size, which, to Slocum, pointed to one conclusion. Humans were descended from aquatic apes. They needed to maintain those fat deposits for when the rising tides of global warming forced them back to the sea. Slocum gave Duncan a worried look as he placed the calzone on the counter. "'You okay?' "'Just treading water,' Duncan said. Slocum shook his head as he rang him up. Duncan looked around the restaurant. Tourists dipped fried clams in tartar sauce. Children lit ketchup from white paper cups. Older couples asked for to-go boxes. The fishing industry fed people, the most worthy calling there was. He took strength from that. He felt renewed. It was going to be okay.' Sorry, said Slocum, handing his credit card back. Rejected. Duncan ran his thumb over the useless numbers on his plastic. He'd failed at the basic test of being an American, owning a working credit card. Slocum put a hand on Duncan's shoulder. Pay me whenever. Remember, a dead calm comes before a new wind. Duncan knew that in a time like this, if all his friend could do was, quote, a salty platitude, then the end was not very far away. Pound for pound, squid were winning. It was time to even the playing field. Eat or be eaten, he shouted as he ripped the hot calzone from its bag and tore his dinner apart. Released from the steaming prison of pastry, the squid tendrils unfolded as if alive. Duncan ate with both hands, burning his fingers and scorching his mouth, desperately trying to keep his place as the dominant species.
1: Up until now, we haven't had to worry too much about squid here in Albuquerque, but I'll be keeping my eyes open from now on. Joanne Hart is the author of Adult and Float. The Economic Tide is extrapolated from Float, a novel which mixes bankruptcy, conceptual art and plastics in the ocean, along with a strange bit of cooking on the side. Hart's short fiction essays and articles have been widely published, most recently in Orion magazine and the fiction anthology, Winds of Change, short stories for a changing climate. She lives in Gloucester, Massachusetts, America's oldest seaport, where fishing regulations, the health of the ocean, and the natural beauty of the world are daily topics of wonder and concern. Dime Stories was founded by novelist Amy Wallen and is now managed by Jennifer Simpson that's me. Dime Stories chapters meet every month in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Orange County, California, and San Diego, California. If you'd like to start a chapter in your town, write us through the contact page of our website, www.dimestories.org, where you can also find hundreds of dime stories archived, including the ones from this episode. And a special thank you to Scott Holmes, who composes the music we use in all our episodes, Learn more about his work at scottholmesmusic.com.
0: If life is a series of moments, any one of them could be a dime story. Get out there and tell yours. And thanks for listening.